Well, God has put an urgency in my heart about this word that I'm going to share with you today, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. I don't know how much of this word we're going to get through to today, but I, I want to make sure that we just enjoy what God has for us today. If we need to vi- revisit this again the two weeks from now, we'll continue and move forward there. Um, in, the, in the last several weeks, we've been diving into parenting and what it looks like to lead our children to love God and to know Him. And we've been talking about what it looks like to lead others to love God and to know Him because that's the purpose of the kingdom. And as I've been preparing myself in that and seeking God's Word for this season in our lives as a church, the Lord has really impressed me to just visit the story found in in the first book of Samuel there and just see the contrast in these two families. A family, one that was seeking the favor of God, one that was running away from God's favor, one that was raising and, and enabling rebellious children and another one who was dedicating their children to the Lord, Uh, one who was treating the things uh, irreverently, the things of God, and another one who had honor for God even in a wicked generation. And so we're going to continue to dive into that today and, and look at the way these two families responded to the conditions that God put in place, the way they responded to God, whether they pursued Him or ran away from Him. And so God makes His conditions really clear. Do you know that? Through His Word, the God of the Bible is the God who makes His conditions really clear. I don't know if you've ever been blessed to receive a phone call from a telemarketer. Anybody ever been blessed? They just call you and you're just, I'm so excited. My life would be incomplete without your your phone calls. I just love to be tormented by you. Thank you. Oh my goodness, you guys are so skilled. Thank you for calling from an unknown number or from Finley, Ohio and look like a, just a normal number so that I can pick up the phone. Now I'm really interested in talking to you, right? Uh, I mean, they just get creative in their wickedness right now. So, uh, you know, you ever get one of these phone calls where they say something like, uh, congratulations, you have been randomly selected. Stop right there. If ever I'm randomly selected, it's at the airport. (laughs) And it randomly happens every time. It's not the way to start a telemarketing call with me, right? You've been randomly selected. You have won a drastically discounted vacation. So why are you trying to, why do I need a discount for a vacation I won? I don't need a discount for a vacation that I want. You ever had somebody try to sell you a timeshare or something where you can stay for a week in Florida or Sarasota Beach or somewhere, and all you need to do is sit with them for three hours as they give you a presentation? Why don't you just slap me (laughs) a lot? I'm not going to sit there for three hours and allow you to try to sell me. So that just sounds like pure torture to me. And you know the, the, the scheme, you know, they present to you the goods, and they make it sound so good, almost as if to basically say in other words, this is so good that if you don't take it up, you must be dumb, right? That's how they make you feel. One time I called an alarm company because I was interested in a security system for the home, and uh, I called the wrong number. I called the sales department, right? Mayday. So when I called and I realized that this was, uh, you know, just a scam, Uh, The lady, when I was hanging up the phone, says, well, I thought you cared for your family. I said, I said, Lord Jesus, help me in this moment. Because this, what I'm feeling is not your spirit. I was like, what did you just say to me? Right? They go to great extent to sell you their product. Right? Whatever the product may be. And the world operates like that. It presents to you the good, but never tells you the conditions. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't do that? 
God is super clear about his conditions. And there are, Scripture is filled with a bunch of conditional promises. Promises that are rewards, that are blessings, but God makes very, very clear what the conditions to those promises are. For example, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's a wonderful promise, right? We need to be acquainted with that promise. Jesus said, said, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, I'll answer. If you ask, you'll receive. Those are great conditional promises, right? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What's the condition? Seek me with all your heart, with all your cares, with all your desires. Seek me, and I will meet you there. For I have great things to show you, great and mighty things you know not of. God's promises. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Conditions are put in place. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What's this condition? Faith in Jesus brings about what? The promise of eternal life. God makes his conditions super clear. And here's the wonderful part. Unlike telemarketers, the conditions that God has put in our side, the conditions that we have to meet don't compare to the promise that God makes. You know, you start studying these telemarketers, you realize this ain't no deal at all. This is, not, this is not good for me. That's good for the company. But when you look at the promises that God has given us, I'm going to tell you something. You will, you will never be able to outgive the giver of life. Your seeking will never outmatch God's blessing. God's blessing will always be overwhelming. It will always be greater. I'm telling you, that is what he does. And so as we go into the scripture that we're going to read today, and we dove into it last week, we found two families, a family that was seeking to bless God, was meeting the conditions that God put in place in the scripture, and a family that was running away from God with their actions, right, and their behavior. So we studied about Elkanah and Hannah, Hannah and how her desperation uh, brought about um, a great blessing in her life. And God blessed her with her son, Samuel, who became a prophet, man of God. And we saw how even, they sought God even in a wicked generation. And they just brought about their, in their lives, even in the midst of barrenness, just blessing upon blessing. And when you really think about Hannah would have had, she had no idea that God was going to do something incredible with her child. So incredible. But it happened. Why? Because she was desperate and she went before God. And this is just so clear in scripture. When you begin to seek God, his blessing is bigger than anything that you can ever imagine. It's what he does over and over again. Hannah didn't know that Samuel, her son, would anoint the king that would be the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus Christ. Right? She had no idea. Remember the thief on the cross? He said, Jesus, if you would just remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus was like, I want to do more than that. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Ain't that incredible? When we begin to seek God, the blessings of God are greater than our seeking always. So it's worth seeking God. Amen? It's worth seeking God. Hannah and Elkanah, they found out how incredible it was to honor God, how important it was to bless the Lord. And so today we're going to see kind of the opposite. As two families, as Samuel begins to grow in the Lord and get the favor of the Lord, you're going to find the family of Eli doing the exact opposite. 
So we have a portion of scripture that we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And they told me that some slides are missing. So if the slides are missing, you're just going to have to take my word for it, okay? So, so we're going to dive there beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read a big portion of scripture, uh, verse 12. And it reads this way. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Not good, right? I mean, this is just not the way you want to go down in history. When you look at the literal translation, it actually says sons of worthlessness. Eli's sons were sons of worthlessness. I was talking to Becca about this yesterday. I said, man, what a, what a terrible way to be recognized in Scripture, to be sons of worthlessness. And she says something that just I never thought about. She says, yeah, what does that say about Eli? Because he's the father, right? So both, both received the indictment of God's word, right? Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Some of your translations would say they didn't regard the Lord or revere the Lord. And both are good. Why? Because when you don't know the Lord, you can't have reverence for someone you don't know. You can know about God and not know him. Are you with me? Right? I mean, these people lived in the temple. They knew the law of God. They knew the way that they should act. They knew all these things probably better than anybody else in Israel. Yet they didn't know the Lord because they didn't have a relationship with him. I can preach all the days of my life the gospel message. I can do ministry all the days of my life. I can, I can be in this house all the day. of. I can be in the house and not be of the house. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so here are the priest's sons. They are in the house but they're not of the house, and they are incurring upon themselves the judgment of God because of their behavior. Now, the custom of the priest with the people was that when any men offered sacrifices, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants will come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the men said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Okay, now pay attention to what's happening here. The scripture is basically teaching us. Whoa, there goes that. The scripture is basically teaching us that the customs of the priest was this. The custom was to take the meat, put it in the pot, make sure that it's boiled, and then when it was being cooked, as it was cooked in the cauldron, it was supposed to wait for the fat to be burned, right? Because the fat God established belonged to the Lord, right? And this was customary. But now what these priests were doing, instead of allowing that process to happen, they wanted the whole meat. I don't want boiled meat. I want my meat this way. And there were several reasons why they wanted it that way. Number one, they wanted to sell it. If they wanted to, they could make a profit out of it. Secondly, they wanted to eat it. Let me tell you, I don't blame God for liking the fat, because every time I grill pork on my grill, it is that fat piece. Can I get a witness? All right, now we need to repent. Okay. All right, so... So you, you have this reality where they're taking advantage of the offering for their personal benefit. Thus, verse 17 says this, the sin of the young men was very great. So if the people didn't want to give the gift, it says, we can't do this. This is not honorable to the Lord. What they had was muscles. They had servants that would take it by force. You know, uh, 
And if the man said to him, let the, okay, so verse 17. Thus the sin, the young man, was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Some scripture would say they profaned the offering of the Lord. In other words, they treated with dishonor that which belonged to God. Now Samuel, in the midst of all this, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord." Very interesting. Hannah couldn't have a child. She got desperate, sought the Lord. God blesses her with Samuel. God, she then in turn gives Samuel to the Lord, leaves him in this home, right, in the, in the temple where he is to grow up serving the Lord. And what does God do? He multiplies the fruit of her womb. You honor me with your best, and I'm going to give you more than you've ever asked for or imagined. You honor God with your best, and you'll see what God will do, whatever that may be. But right, but now here is Samuel growing up in a corrupt priesthood. But Hannah knows I got to let that boy be there because that's his place. Do you think that as a mom she was concerned that he was around Phineas and Hophni, those two wicked priests? Would you be concerned? Absolutely. But she knew that he belonged there, and what she had in her hand to do was to prepare his garments so that he could minister before the Lord. You know what she did? She didn't try to protect him from every single environment because she knew that that wasn't her job. Her job was to do whatever was in her hands to do and trust the Lord with the rest. Parents, there are things and places you can't protect your kids from. There are times where you're just going to have to trust the Lord to do his work. And you just got to do whatever you can with what's in your hands. Oftentimes, when you protect your, when we, we try to overprotect our kids, what we do is push them right into the sin, right? I shared last service. This is Proverbs 38. says, curiosity killed the cat. You ever read that verse? Me neither. <laughs> but what happens is sometimes we try to overprotect our kids, and what we do is push them right into wickedness. And that takes great discernment, parents, to know what it is that it's in our hands to do and to know that there's a time where our kids have to make a decision for or against Jesus. Amen? And trust the Lord in the process. And boy, that's difficult for all of us, for all of us. Now, verse 22. Now, Eli was getting old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So not only were they eating the meat, not only were they doing that, but they were also now from gluttony to lust. And that's the progression of sin. When you open up your heart to commit a little sin, it increases to a mid medium sin that grows into a large sin that becomes an extra large sin because sin is never quenched. When you leave room for sin, sin has a big appetite. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For, for I hear... Of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? That's a serious verse right there. 
But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Listen, it gets to a point where you're walking in sin, you're growing in sin, you're refusing to listen to the word of God, you're refusing to, leading, to listen to rebuke. The only thing left is the judgment of God. God would not be righteous if he wouldn't judge. Now the boy Samuel, in the middle of all this, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? So here's a man of God. We don't even know his name. He just shows up and he asks a word from the Lord. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an effort before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And why do you honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? What is happening there? God is making Eli responsible. Some would say, well, Eli was good. Didn't he rebuke his sons? Yeah, when the sin was detestable to him, but the other sin he was okay with. You see that? He was sitting there feasting on the meat that they were taking that belonged to the Lord. Now, the sin was detestable that they're sleeping around with women at the altar. Pardon me for saying it that way, but that's what's happening by the priesthood. And finally, he says something, but whatever sin benefits him, he's okay with. I don't know if you know Christians who preach about sins they hate, but never preach about the sins they struggle with. All right, I'm going to leave that alone. You know, oh, they are sinners. Oh, this, that, that, it's just a weakness that I have. Oh, so, it's, so they have sin and you just got weakness. Wow, how incredible. <laughs> right? Right? All right, that's in Idaho, no, not in Ohio. So here you have that situation, and he says, why do you scorn my offering? And then we're going to read verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In other words, I made a promise to that Phineas of old, and I said, there will always be a man that serves me from your family because of your passion for me. But you know what? The way you're acting and your sons have acted, I'm stopping that blessing and that favor right now, and I'm, I'm establishing a new covenant. Those who seek me, they will have my honor. They will have my blessing. Isn't that incredible? All, so many generations of God's favor and God's blessing and someone's disobedience is about to eradicate all that blessing and favor. Now, behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then, then in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. That's a curse. That's a curse of death. The only one of you whom I shall cut, not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And they shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. 
And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And this was fulfilled in the priest Sadok who ministered before David. Again, David being the the great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ. So this speaks of a ministry that would happen within the priesthood then and also the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's the, the real high priest, the ultimate high priest, the anointed one. And everyone who is left in your house, verse 36, shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. What this means is your family, because of your greed, because of your sin, will be so destitute that you will be left begging for bread. Whoa. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you don't want God to be speaking over us, right? Now, what was the sin of What was the sins that they've committed? Number one, they had no regard for the Lord. Their personal relationship with God didn't matter. They took lightly that which was sacred. They didn't honor the things that belonged to God. They served their own desires. They were responsible. This is a great sin. They were responsible for people hating to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, people didn't want to come to the temple of God because of their behavior. The Bible says they abhorred to give sacrifices to the Lord because of them. Whoa. And they shaped, listen to this, their sinful desires shaped the entire culture of Israel. And here's the deal about sin. We don't tend to think about how our sin affects our home and those that surround us, our community, our church. But sin has consequences. Are you with me? And Eli, of course, he knew it, but he didn't deal with it as he should have. He was benefiting from the sin. He didn't restrain them or remove them. And the prophet makes Eli responsible, and also Samuel brings the word to Eli that makes him responsible for this as well. And ultimately, Eli just has the wrong attitude. There's a point where Samuel brings the word to him, and Eli just says, well, whatever the Lord wants to do, let whatever, he is the Lord, let him do whatever is right in his own eyes. He had a, the wrong whatever attitude. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So the consequences, God's favor was removed from their lives. They brought judgment to the entire nation of Israel. All three died because of their sins. And the last thing is the birth of a child who was called Ichabod. As one of Eli's sons' uh, wives was given birth, she died in labor and as she was dying, she heard that the Ark of the Covenant, which signified the presence of God, was taken from Israel. And she made a declaration over that child and says, his name will be Ichabod. Ichabod means this, God's glory, God's favor, God's mercy has departed. That's not a popular name. Do not use it. Now, what do we learn from Eli and his sons. We learned this. In the kingdom, we can start very, very well and finish very badly. We can start very well and finish very badly. Eli and his sons started with blessing upon blessing upon blessing, generation after generation after generation. And literally, they were in closest proximity to God and his kingdom than anyone was in the old covenant. Right? And look at what happened. They started well. 
but they finish badly. Why? Because their decisions led them to eradicate God's favor from their lives. There are seven deadly decisions that we cannot make if we want God's favor in our lives. I want to share with you what those decisions are. Those who don't have God's favor in their lives, number one, they don't value their personal relationship with God. I'm going to stop here and park for a long time. Because I want you to understand how serious this is. Your one-on-one time with Jesus matters. The fact that you go home and get in your room and close your door and pray to Jesus matters. It doesn't matter what ministry God's called you Understand, these things are valuable. I'm not saying they're not valuable. But it's not about the ministry that you've been called to. It's not about the people that you've been called to. It's not about the gifts that God's given you. What matters above everything is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be in close proximity to the house of God. You can be in close proximity to the presence of God. You can be in close proximity to the things of God and your heart be totally far from him. It's like the soldiers who were casting lots for his garments. They were at the feet of Jesus, but not at the feet of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying today? Your personal relationship matters. Number two, if we go to that slide, profane the sacred. Those who eradicate God's favor from their lives, they treat as unholy that which has been called to be holy says, well, pastor, how do I know that which is supposed to be holy that I'm supposed to treat with reverence? Well, the Bible says this about you and I, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you are holy. You are to be uh, walk in reverence and in honor because God wants to dwell in you. You are the temple. Think about that. The temple of the Holy Spirit. If I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, then this is the windows to the temple that God wants to see through. My eyes should be looking at things that honor the Lord. If I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, these are the hands that God wants to work through. My hands should be working on the things that God wants me to work on. If this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then my feet belong to the Lord. I should be walking in path and in ways that honor God. If this is the temple of the Holy Spirit that God wants to speak through me, then this mouth should be speaking life and not curses. And whenever I do not treat my body as sacred and holy, I am profaning, I am treating with contempt what belongs to the Lord. Are you with me so far? The next slide. Prioritizing desires over obedience. Those who eradicate God's favor are those who choose their desires over their obedience. And let me tell you, it's such a, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God is able to discern the difference, right? It's able to penetrate through like a double-edged sword to tell the difference between, to split bone and marrow, soul and spirit. What that means is the Word of God and only the Word of God has the ability to discern between the things that are of the heart and the things that are really of God. And let me tell you, oftentimes the things of the heart are not the things of God. Because the Bible says that the heart is wicked above all things. But today's culture said, says that your heart is good. Just listen to your heart and you're okay. But that's a contradiction to Scripture. Scripture said that the heart is desperately wicked. So I can't listen to my heart and listen to God at the same time unless my heart is completely yielded to God's Word and transformed by the Word of God. Right? 
prioritizing our desires over obedience. Well, pastor, I know that I shouldn't have been in this relationship and I shouldn't have done that, but, but it felt right to my heart. Of course it felt right to your heart because Scripture says that our hearts are wicked. Unless they're yielded to the Word of God. Another thing that people who eradicate God's favor in their lives do is ignoring rebuke. We don't listen to wise counsel. Eventually, we're bringing judgment in our lives by causing others to fall. We eradicate God's favor in our lives by not standing up against sin when we should. We eradicate the favor of God from our lives and by having a whatever attitude, we eradicate God's favor from our lives. Now, in the process of this, God brought a word to Eli from an unknown individual, a prophetic word, and it was powerful. And we don't get any response from Eli. But then God begins to speak through Samuel. And Samuel gives the same word to Eli. And this is what Eli Eli says. Whatever the Lord wants to do, Whatever the Lord wants to do, let him do whatever is right in his own eyes. That's the wrong whatever. Church, let me just stop the message at this moment. When God brings a tough word to us, that's not the time to say, whatever happens, happens. Whenever the rebuke of the Lord comes, we need to make sure that our hearts doesn't have this whatever attitude. Some of you may be here today, and as I'm sharing this tough word, you may have that whatever attitude. Well, let God do whatever he wants. That's not the kind of attitude that we need to have. Some of us will have this statement, only God can judge us. Only God can judge me. Don't judge me. Let me tell you something. The last thing you want is God's judgment. You want God's mercy. You don't want to stand before God and say, God, I refuse to be judged by men. You judge me. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So we need to come before God and ask ourselves, do we have this whatever attitude? See, he needed to have the right whatever. He had the wrong whatever. He had the whatever that said, well, whatever happens, happens. But he needed to have the whatever that said, I'll do whatever it takes to get right before God. I'll do whatever it takes to seek the favor of God. What whatever fills our heart right now? Would you stand with me today? If the usher can help me. Brother Brian, can you help me? Now there's another half of this message that deals with Samuel and how in the midst of wickedness he grew up before the Lord and God did mighty things. And I want to dive so badly into that, but we don't have all the time that I wish we could spend on it. And I don't want to spend less time on that than I did on this because it's so good. And we'll dive into that in the following weeks. But right now, with what God has given us, let's come before the Lord. I just have two things I want us to consider today. Would you close your eyes with me? I want you to ask yourself today, do you treat the Lord with no regard? Let me rephrase that. Is your personal relationship with Jesus 
what matters most to you right now. Whether you've ever given your life to Jesus or not, whether you've been in the house for 40 years, whether you've served on the board or been in the mission field or been in ministry, praise God. The question right now is a personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus your number one priority? Is it your number one priority? Are you seeking to find his favor? Are you seeking to hear his voice? Is it your number one priority? I know that I found myself at times being out of alignment and realized, man, God, ministry has taken the number one spot. I repent. I want you to be my number one spot. I don't know if maybe, whatever it may be, there are a lot of good things that sometimes get in the way and become idolatry. I want to ask you today, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, your number one. Maybe right now you're convicted and the Lord is saying to you, I'm calling you to make me number one in your life. That's you right where you're at. To raise your hand. Sign of submission before the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you see my brothers and sisters who are gathered here today. We raise our hands before you and we say, oh God, we want to make a personal relationship with you to be number one in our lives. We thank you for church. We thank you for the worship experience. We thank you for the calling in, your, in our lives. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. We thank you for peace and joy and the way that we pro- you prosper us. But we want to make number one in our lives our personal relationship with you. Awaken us, O God, to you. Awaken us to your spirit that we would know you and that you would know us, I pray. O Lord, for my brothers and sisters who raised their hands, O God, open up their hearts. O God, increase their hunger for you. O Father, do a mighty work in them that they would learn, Father God, that they would commit to the persevering of the saints and follow hard after you making you number one in their lives. In Jesus' name. One more altar call today. If I could ask you one more time to close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I got the wrong whatever in my heart. God has been speaking strongly to me. I know that there are things in my life I need to get right, things that I need to deal with, and I just have the wrong whatever in my heart. I have this whatever happens, happens attitude. But instead, I need to have a, I'll do whatever it takes to get the favor of God in my life. If that's you today and you're saying, I'm trading my whatever. I don't want a whatever happens, happens. I want a whatever it takes. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Would you right now say, I want a whatever it takes. I'll draw close to Jesus. Whatever it takes to get his favor.